0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: Honestly, Sean, our wheels started turning on it the minute they stopped our spring practice. In fact, that day, we kind of disagreed with the, not that we know everything, but just for our players' safety, we kind of disagreed with the M.O. of what was going on. Uh, If you think about it, shutting down schools was probably necessary. I'm not going to argue with that, but once you did that, the consequence was a mass migration of young people all across the country. And so we just saw it through the lens of our little tiny football team. But having all these guys get on planes and fly to different parts of the country, you know, if any of our kids would have had it before they left, they're spreading it to everybody on the plane and everybody back in their community. So as we were thinking about that, we naturally thought about when these kids come back, the same thing's going to happen in reverse. And that's, that's when we really started thinking about where are our kids the safest, not as a whole, but individually. How do we help facilitate that? And that's why our focus was on the kids first and just as importantly on our community to make sure as these kids were returning that Lincoln was safe and it wasn't our kids bringing it back to
2: the community. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and A. Klaus, and that was head coach Scott Frost for the first time since March 9th. As far as uh, doing a media interview, I had a chance to sit down uh, with Coach Frost along with the Lincoln Journal Star on Friday and um, just kind of gave his thoughts on everything that's happening um, with the coronavirus in, in the last 75 days. And as we know, a lot more has happened um, really since Friday uh, around the world. So, you know, the football team itself reported back to the weight room Monday. Um, but, you know, a lot, other, a lot of other bigger things have happened, as we know, in this country, um, you know, w- w- with riots and protests and things like that. So not a lot of attention was really given back to, say, locally Nebraska hitting the weight room, high school players hitting the weight rooms, because naturally so, there's a lot of other things going on, Robin, and um, a number of these coaches have come out and, um, for Nebraska and, and made statements of support, including Scott Frost and including Fred Hoiberg.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that, as the head coach of a collegiate sport, uh, specifically football and men's basketball, uh, I mean, that's something you have to do. Um, and you know, Fred Hoiberg didn't waste any time in doing that. He put a pretty strong statement right out of the gates. Um, you know, as soon as uh, you know this, those issues were starting to flare up, and um, you know, he, obviously, he has connections to Minneapolis, and you know, that has that community is really close to his heart and you know when you're working with young black men you have to be sympathetic to issues that they're dealing with even if it might not necessarily directly impact you you have to have an understanding that these types of things are extremely important not only to your players but their families and people close to them and so you know fred obviously was right out of the gate scott frost followed up um you know with a with a nice john statement cook, I john, john, cook john cook and amy williams you know and basically down the board um you know, nebraska's official twitter handled it too and so uh you know that's i think one of the things you have to do but uh i thought pretty much every one of those statements were really from the heart and i think that that goes a long way in, uh, you know, b- building trust and, uh, you know, showing your players that you were there with them. I remember back, uh, you know, when, during the hate will never win thing with Tim Miles, you know, Nebraska basketball was at the forefront of that thing. They had the, the warm up shirts that they wore before a game. And, you know, Tim Miles was out there actually attending a, a rally uh, that, that what th- event was that from? it was, it was a, a kid on campus was making, you know, racist threats. And, uh, you know, it was all kind of, threatening violence uh like on UNL's campus and so uh you know Nebraska was kind of at the forefront of that thing and I remember during that press conference that they had uh, I asked the players you know Evan Taylor and I think Glenn Watson were up there I asked him what that meant to them to have their coach. Even if it was – I mean, it's not like Tim was up there, like, holding signs and chanting. He was just there, and there was a picture taken with him. Uh, I think it was published in the DN. And just what that symbolized to them to have their head coach out there listening to uh, an extremely important issue to them. And they said it wasn't – they couldn't put it into words – what that meant, and so even if it's just a, a Twitter post, or um, you know, having you know, specific meetings with your players, showing empathy and support and sympathy for something that, like I said, uh, means a great deal to your players, uh, is is something that's extremely important.
4: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, in, it's they don't have to be the biggest activist in town or, or on campus, uh, but certainly they need to be aware. Be aware, um, and they need to be supportive of of everybody on their team, especially at a place like Nebraska, where you're literally recruiting, you know, all 48 states, 50, 49 states, really. Uh, you've got kids from all every corner of the country, from every type of background, um, you know, and, and, I, and I think that you really do need to let everybody know, especially those on your team and, and the kids in your locker room, that, hey, uh, I support you, I, I empathize with you, I'm, I'm listening to you. Um, you know, and, and I thought that Frost's statement was kind of different from a lot of others because he went kind of heavy on the religion side of things, um, you know, and, and um, you know, I'm not saying that's right or wrong or whatever, but I, I do think that showed that, you know, this wasn't like a, you know, this wasn't something that was drawn up in the sports media, you know, by somebody else and, and they threw it on his Twitter handle, but I, I do think that um, he was speaking from the heart when he, when he made that post.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus says um, the football team did get back into the weight room this week. Um, they were really the first in the country to do so because of the, the – main. and you'll hear more about this from Scott Frost here with clips throughout the show. But Nebraska began testing their players with the coronavirus – for the coronavirus as, as early as May, um, you know, right when they got back to town. So they've been able to, you know, go through the transition process of bringing guys back one by one, testing everybody, quarantine people. Uh, we do know there's been one positive test as well. Uh, we saw Iowa State. Um, has had a couple positives as they're bringing guys back in. Um, You know, and and you heard Frost in the open say, you know, that was one of his concerns. Like, is it making sense to transport millions of young people to and from places in the middle of this? So now they have to be really, really aware as they bring guys back, how they process. And Nebraska's kind of created that process for the country of how to transition a team back. And I told you guys off air this. I, I think you'd rather kind of get these kinks out in June right now then have it happening in August or late July so um, we can all learn uh, from this in the sports world if we're going to have sports in the fall.
3: Right. The biggest hurdle right now is just figuring out what you're dealing with as a team and uh, what your case number is going to be once everybody is finally back together again uh, in, in the same facility. And another example uh, that came out Wednesday uh, was Oklahoma State. You know, They announced that they tested over 150 staff members, administrators, and student athletes, and they had three asymptomatic uh, positive uh, results, so they expected, and everybody's going to expect. There's going to be some positive cases. It's just a matter of identifying them, beginning the process of quarantining them, and managing the situation. And I think just understanding just kind of what what's on your plate is the first big step, and everything else from there, I think, will kind of uh, kind of fall into its own as as you continue through it. Well, and, and I look at the football team as like a big
4: family. You know, we we're able to be kind of self quarantined with our family in our homes and not have to you know really practice social distancing or whatever so i mean i think the sooner you get all these guys back together um and you figure out who who who's positive who's not positive get everybody back healthy and then start to have them self-quarantine and kind of have them be one big giant family i think that that will help them in the fall moving forward with this whole deal
2: you're listening here to the husker online show as a lot to talk about here Uh, From my conversation, I had Steve Sipple the general star, was also in on it with Coach Frost. Um, We're going to hit on a lot of things on this show, guys. Uh, We're going to talk about J.D. Spielman, um, the qualification um, uh, of guys arrival to campus, Omar Manning being one of them, uh, just finding out the good news. Um, Henry Gray, um, no longer on the team. Um, as he's put his name in the transfer portal. That happened Friday afternoon. Um, So there's a lot to discuss, and we're going to delve into some of those topics next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: What's interesting and has been interesting to me the whole time is the situation's different in a lot of, in, in every university in every state. The n- number of people that are involved in those types of decisions is staggering. Every governor, every mayor, every university president, every board of regents, every AD. Because some state guidelines might be different than other states' guidelines. Uh, the situations in states are different. Some university presidents might have school in the fall. Some might not have school in the fall. And then you have to decide if you can have football without school. So there's just so many people involved, conferences, the NCAA, so many people involved in this decision. And it's going to be really hard to make a one-size-fits-all decision on anything.
2: And welcome back to the Husker Line Show. Head coach Scott Frost is talking about the challenging days ahead. As, as we know, um, there's a lot of different people and a lot of different pages when it comes to how to move forward um, with playing football, playing sports, going back to school, um, opening restaurants, bars. I mean, there's just so many layers to where we're at right now. And Scott Frost, um, in my interview with him last Friday, just kind of addressed those challenging days. But luckily at Nebraska, you've got... Um, you know, new, new president, Ted Carter, who's been great, uh, Ronnie Green, um, then Governor Ricketts and Coach Frost also have a very good dialogue um, that they keep, um, just kind of staying up to date on kind of where they're at with the current directive health measures and phases. And right now, Nebraska's in phase two, which allows groups of up to 25 or 50% of your capacity in a weight room. Nebraska started out with about 20, I think 20 athletes in the weight room. And guys, one of those athletes not in the weight room is wide receiver jd spielman and we asked coach frost about that um, in his situation and and really it's unchanged since the spring Uh, but what i can tell you is jd as we know has been back to nebraska lincoln and omaha uh, multiple times Um, he's trained with former wide receivers coach um, keith williams um, at least once Uh, but there's been no contact by him at this point with the Nebraska coaching staff. So it does not look good, and I don't think any of us in this room right now expect J.D. Spielman to come back. It's more a matter of kind of how this now plays out.
3: Yeah, I think on our weekly chat on Tuesday, somebody asked that, if you put a percentage of J.D. Spielman playing at Nebraska again, and I said uh, less than 1%, I think Nate went. uh, like 0.0001% or something like that. So, uh, clearly, uh, we don't expect him to play another down as a Nebraska corn Husker again. And, um, I guess technically that door is still open. Um, neither side has, uh, done anything to, um, move the, the needle on that one way or the other, but it is extremely telling that he is back in Nebraska multiple times. He's in Lincoln and has not communicated with any member of Nebraska's coaching staff. I mean, that, that says everything you need to know right there. I mean, if there was any movement towards him rejoining the program, those conversations would have happened. They would have at least spoken to each other, but from everything that we've learned, uh, know right now. Those conversations have not happened whatsoever. And, you know, you pair that with some cryptic social media posts where he's tweeting Oregon State helmets and all that stuff. It just seems like uh, any hope of him, uh, you know, continuing his uh, productive Nebraska career is all but done at this point. Well, and that's the crazy part about it is, you know, what – if he doesn't come back,
4: which I don't think any of us have ever really expected that to happen, but you know what's his legacy end up being? He he had a chance to completely rewrite the history books, and that's not as, important to him, evidently. Yeah, well, yeah, evidently it's not. But you know what's going to be interesting is you know ten, fifteen years from now, when even even though he still has had an uh, extremely productive career, I mean, is he <laughs> even going to be? Someone that gets brought up as as you know one of the one of the best to, to play the, the position, or because you know he was never really the face of the team. He's never really a guy that talked to the media, um, you know, and, and obviously a guy that that uh, you know didn't come back for a senior season. Will he just kind of be forgotten, or or what? You know, it's really interesting, you know, and I feel for him, you know, with, with whatever problems he had to deal with, uh, but it's it is interesting that, that he's been back and been working out, but yet there's been no the lack
2: of communication. Um, and I know Nebraska has reached out to try to get an update and they've been given no update. So it, it, it is somewhat interesting, the approach um, there that's being taken. And, you know, I, 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 when he left town, I don't even think they were aware he had left town. It took a week or two in February, March to know he was gone um, just because he kept such a low profile within the program. So, It will be something to watch, but on that wide receiver front, guys, Nebraska did get some good news this week. Omar Manning officially makes the grade. Uh, He's a two-for-two former All-American, played in the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. Um, He's a big-body, physical, Maurice-purified type. Um, I know, Nate, when you look at Manning, a lot of people thought that there was really a long shot of him getting to Nebraska. Maybe that's why Nebraska got him so easily. I don't know. But you know, there was a lot of chatter. Oh, this guy's not gonna make it. Uh, credit Nebraska again. They developed a plan, a map, and Omar Manning's going to be here in, in June.
4: Yeah, he's gonna be here and and uh, you know, and that was part of it. You know, I think that a lot of teams did fall off of him because of the the academic hurdles, but Nebraska, not only were they one of the first teams to really go all in and, and start recruiting him hard and, and make him a huge priority, uh, but they, they stuck with him and they put together a plan and they revised that plan and they revised it again probably. And um, you know and, and they always had faith that he was going to be able to get it done. And um, and, and now that's going to pay off because he's special. He's 6'4", 225 pounds. They don't have anybody on the roster that looks like this guy – uh, that can do the things that he can do, um, and he's not your typical junior college guy. I mean, he he went to TCU out of high school. He was he was an Army All American. Uh, he went to TCU. He you know he, he's he understands you know what it's going to take and what it takes to to play at that level. Um, you know, I, I do think the learning curve is going to be a little little less for him than it is for a lot of other guys uh, that, that do make that transition from junior college to, to Nebraska.
3: So I, you guys have obviously watched him a lot more than I have. What, it seems like the bar of expectation for him is as high as any player on the roster, especially any newcomer. Uh, is it realistic to think he could have that dramatic of an impact in this offense? I mean, Scott Frost said that in the signing day press conference that Omar Manning changes their offense just yes. his presence alone. I mean, is is he that level of player that is going to literally change the identity of Nebraska's offense?
2: Here's, you know, if you talk to anybody within the staff, they'll tell you that Nebraska had some of the, the worst production and just top-to-bottom depth of receivers in the conference, if not Power 5 football. I mean, they had a, a you know, you looked at lower-level Big Ten teams. They had better receivers than Nebraska did. Um, that was a real weak spot for this program. What Omar Manning gives you is a true 50-50 ball guy, meaning on third and eight, you could run and and draw up plays where it's corner on him, and he's going to have a really good chance to win those scenarios. Last year, J.D. Spielman's not a 50-50 ball. Kenobi Noah, they tried it a few times, and it went miserable for him. He was not a guy that could win 50-50 balls. Um, Wandell Robinson—that's not what he does. Uh, Cade Warner was hurt all year, so he gives them Nate an added element of that guy that can win a fifty-fifty.
4: You know, not only that, but he's not a liability in the run game. He's six-four, two twenty-five. He can block. He's—he's he's willing to—to to block on the edge too. So. Um, you know, and Nebraska really didn't have that player either last year. Um, you know,
2: some of the worst receiver blocking maybe we've seen in <laughs> yeah. the modern history of Nebraska football I mean, happen last I, year.
4: I honestly, there were there were some plays that Chris Hickman made when he moved to wide receiver that were that were you know more efficient as a blocker than anybody else that I saw last year. I mean, it was it was really really bad, and so um, you know, and that's another aspect that he brings to to the table. He's you know he's not a liability there, so. Um, and the defense is going to have to respect a guy like that. And, and I think that opens things up for a Wandale Robinson, opens things up for the running game. I mean, it does change their offense quite a bit.
3: Well, and then you look at the next level to that. Obviously, you have some some commodities with Omar Manning, Wandale, even Cade Warner to an extent. Uh, but that next wave is going to be extremely fun to watch once they are able to return to the football field. I mean, that that freshman class, I mean, there's four guys right there that you could all can make a case that could see immediate playing time. You have two guys in Damarian Houston, Jamie Nance, who are in their second year in the program. Are they able to capitalize on what might be the biggest window of opportunity they're going to have left in their career? I mean, there's a, that's going to be that, that receiver group in particular is going to be one of the most fascinating position battles because of the just amount of uncertainty, but potential that that group has.
2: I'll tell you one nugget from coach Frost about Alonte Brown. Um, he said that, you know, I've only seen him for two days play, but I'll put it in perspective. He goes, we run a play in practice that we've always tried to run where there's a little bit of a play fake with a run action and then the quarterback throws it, pulls it out and throws it um, to a receiver across the middle. We have not been able in my first two seasons to even complete that pass, to even run that play. Mm-hmm. In the first two practices of spring ball, he took that to the house multiple times.
3: You've been driving the Alante Browns for a while now. I mean, that's your guy.
2: Yeah, and I, I know everyone's going to – I mean, uh, I just know that he's looked good in, in what they've had so far. And he was the high school player of the year in Chicago. I mean, mm-hmm. the, he's going to be an impact guy. Uh, Marcus Fleming's here now too. Yep. And, you know, that's big, guys. I mean, he was the top receiver on the state championship team in Florida. Mm.
4: One of the fastest players in the state. I mean, he, he ran a 10 a one 100 meters. So, and I don't know if Nebraska's had a, a guy. Electronic. electronic. It, yeah. It, and to put that in perspective, though, in the he state. He might be the
2: fastest guy walking on dirt in Nebraska right now. Probably. I mean, there's nobody else in this state that runs 10 yeah. Um No,
4: there's not. And, but yet he didn't, he didn't place at the state track meet, which really puts it in <laughs> perspective crazy. just how crazy it is. Florida now. fast. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he, he, I mean, he was arguably the fastest football player in the state of Florida um, and so yeah, you're adding him to the mix, Xavier Betts. Uh, you're adding him to the mix. Who I mean, he's a, a physical freak. And so, Nixon, yeah, Will, yeah Nixon. Will Nixon, um, yeah, this this freshman or this incoming wide receiver class has a chance to be really, really special. And our
2: boy from Johnson Brock, yeah, Ty Hans. Ty I mean, seriously, like. Yeah.
3: He's yeah, don't, go, don't count him He's
2: going to have a role in some point of his career at Nebraska.
3: Absolutely. And Chris Hickman is now pretty much a full-time wide receiver, and mm-hmm. you mentioned his ability to block. That will get you on the field, as That's we've seen last sure year. Sure will.
2: All right, guys, we'll continue this discussion of free-flowing off-season football topics next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: Right from the beginning of this, as the leader of the – football program I kind of decided that one or one of two things it came to the realization one of two things is gonna happen. Either this is gonna get bad and we're not gonna have football and nobody's gonna care because our nation's health and our kids' health is far more important than football. And scenario two is this blows over, this passes this isn't as bad as people think and we have football. And as a leader of the program I had to think if that's the case, what can I do to put our players in the best position possible to be successful.
2: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate A. Klaus. That was Scott Frost, kind of his thought process from the beginning of, of why Nebraska might have been so aggressive with the return to campus plan. I mean, Scott Frost said about 30 players never left Lincoln. Now, on June 1, 98% of those guys are um, the returning players are on campus. The newcomers have moved to Lincoln. Um, but they can't actually begin workouts because we are in the unorganized workout stage and newcomers aren't cleared to train until organized workouts begin. So they are allowed to take their online summer school classes um, at this point, which they are. Um, So the whole unorganized versus organized thing is a really, really sticky topic that is somewhat undefined because we've never had a period like this before. Um, but what it is right now is you'll have 20 uh, guys, excuse me 20 um, guys in the weight room for Nebraska um, and anywhere from upwards to two to five medical trainers and strength coaches but they cannot instruct they cannot teach uh, they can have you know just a presence in there and that's kind of where we're at right now as Nebraska opens things up on Monday
3: Well I guess the good thing is that at least having these guys on campus and around the program is you can at least, Accomplish some part of getting the ball rolling with those guys. I mean, obviously classes is one thing, but, you know, they can um, just get their their feet under them uh, in in a new surrounding and um, get to know their teammates and, um, you know, have, I'm sure there's meetings going on and and stuff like that, that, uh, you know, they're still able to do football-related activities, even if it isn't, you know, full-fledged team workouts. And again, I think that's going to come inevitably, but just having them here is a very important first step, even if they're kind of limited in what they can do right now.
4: Yeah, especially for those young guys, those newcomers that are, that are making their way to Lincoln or that are already in town. Um, I mean, I know firsthand there's an acclimation period for all those guys. Um, I mean, really anyone who's ever moved away from home and gone to college, I mean, it, it takes a little while to, to get your feet underneath you and, and to figure out you know, what, the, what the day-to-day is going to be like, what the schedule looks like, uh, what to expect and, and how to handle it, how to manage your time. Um, they've they've got their their plates full, even though you know it's not uh, full go 100 like like it normally is this time of year. Um, th- those guys still have their plates full, and they're they're still acclimating to uh, being in a new environment and getting used to their being around their teammates.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Ron washhead as we uh, Nate Klaus as we talk about Nebraska uh, getting back at it, and you know n- another element to the roster guys this week. Uh, they've added another transfer walk on and it's becoming a little bit of a theme. They've been able to add kind of scholarship quality players as transfer walk-ons. Um, you got Cope, Jonathan Cope, the, the, the kicker from LSU, coming in as a transfer walk-on. Uh, you have John Bivens. Um, who was a highly rated running back at one time out of Ohio, coming to Nebraska as a walk-on. Well, recently this past week, Jared Bubak, who was at one time a Bo Pelini commit um, in Bo's final season as a junior in high school at that time, um, decommitted when Mike Riley took over, switched to Arizona State, played four years at ASU, went through four offensive coordinators, two head coaches, got his degree and his master's degree Um announced he's coming back to Nebraska to play his final year of college football. And it's unknown where he'll fit in in a very, very crowded tight end room. But it is an interesting theme that you're seeing some pretty quality guys join this team in walk-on roles.
3: I can't imagine a better uh, scenario for a football program to get, uh, you know, Power 5-level scholarship players walking on. Uh, I mean, it is zero risk uh, and unknown reward i mean if you can get anything out of those guys i mean that's that's uh just icing on the cake and uh, all those guys have the ability to be impact players i mean obviously cope in a kicker position that is about as wide open as there is on the team uh you know he's gonna have a chance and then you know with bivens uh, before all the injuries i mean he was one of the best running backs in the country and then you know with uh you know bubock you got a local kid that understands what the program's about and i think one of the things that he said for why he wanted to come back to Nebraska, you know, kind of like what Harrison Phillips was saying in some follow-up interviews, he didn't want to be left with what if, you know, what if I had gone to Nebraska? And so he's getting that opportunity. And you, yeah, I mean, you're literally talking about scholarship-level players that are just choosing to pay their own way to play football for you as a head coach. That is a dream scenario in every sense.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's that's it is a dream scenario. I mean, anything that you get out of those guys is a bonus um, and you're literally carrying no risk bringing any of those guys into your program Um, and you know I'll I'll talk a little bit about Bivens Um, you know if if you can if he can pan out um, you know he could end up being a guy that that replaces uh, Ronald Tompkins uh, because you know with his injury past and everything that he's dealt with you know that that still is kind of up in the yeah, air. Yeah, will he
2: even be yeah. on the team? I mean, going forward. Exactly. To, I mean, he's had some major setbacks.
4: Um, you know, and and if he if he's not a guy that can replace Ronald if Ronald leaves, then then you know that's still okay too. But that's how I'm kind of looking at it. You know, if you can get something out of John Bivens here. Um, that could be, end up being a huge, huge bonus for you. And, um, you know, and then the Bu-Box situation, I mean, that was always an interesting deal, how that played out. He was committed to Nebraska, decommitted, committed to Arizona State. Um, you know, I never really thought that he was the guy that was going to leave and, and go somewhere like Arizona State, you know, when he was coming out of high school. So that always kind of surprised me, um, you know, and uh, he, he talked about how – how, he's, how little they, they utilize the tight ends there. And so he's, he's coming in with, like, zero expectations. You know, it's not like he's going to be disgruntled if he's not getting the football every game or, or if he even doesn't see the football field. I, I think that uh, that's, that's definitely having – that's a huge bonus, having a guy like that uh, that has an ex- experience – uh, that has played a, at a high level before. Who's done, you know? Who's who's been a good blocker or whatever. So uh, anything you get out of those guys is is a total bonus. Yeah, he's
2: listed now at 6'5", um, 240, 250 range. Jared Bubak. Um, so he's almost grown an inch since we knew him as a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, he he talked about playing. He only played forty two snaps of offense in three seasons. Uh, two seasons. He didn't play. His redshirt freshman year, he didn't play at all. Redshirted his true freshman year. Then about 60, 65 snaps on special teams. But you're right. He, he made the joke that in his four-year t- period there, Jack Stahl this past year had more catches than all the tight ends at Arizona State combined. So um, <laughs> he originally committed to Mike Norvell when he was the OC for Todd Graham. Mike Norvell went to Memphis when Justin Fuente left to go to Virginia Tech. Um, so really what he signed up for changed the minute he got on campus. Fuente left. Um, in January, and he arrived in January. So it, he kind of got a taste of real life. Um, and you just wonder, you know, anything they can get out. I mean, if he could play anything, it's a bonus, especially if you're not paying for it.
3: I just think being a you know a Lincoln kid. I mean, he understands it. There's something to be said for understanding what the program is and uh you know what it means to be a to the state and what it means to be a Husker. So I think that in itself, I mean, that's a leg up on a lot of other guys that may, maybe don't have that you know, personal connection and so you know it is a crowded room uh, playing time will become hard to will be hard to come by uh we'll see how the tight end is used going forward but nebraska has no shortage of options in that room between vocal uh, jack stole austin allen uh, even kurt raftall i mean they, they've got uh, options upon options there and you know bubock's gonna have to compete for every opportunity he gets but clearly that's a challenge he's ready to take on headfirst
4: well and all these guys i think could certainly find a role on special teams which is an area that nebraska definitely needs to improve on uh, and uh you know and, and i think that you know, if I were these guys, especially a guy like Bubach, you know, that's that's how I'd be approaching this. So like, OK, well, I'm going to be a master uh, at my position on every special teams unit. And maybe that will lead into seeing some some more reps, um, you know, as you know, in the offense as a tight end. But I think that he could. That's a guy that could totally make a huge impact on special teams.
2: All right. When we come back, Ali Snow is going to be joining us here next as we'll take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Housecar Line Show.
0: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: I think we can make it clear in regard answer to that question that this entire process we've never told anybody to come back. We've had conversations with every parent, every kid, multiple times. And it's been made clear all along that player safety is the primary concern. And if parents or the player feel like the kids are safer in Lincoln, then we had a process to make sure that that was handled the right way. If the players and parents felt like they didn't want to come back, then they stayed there. And even on June 1st, we're going to have a few that have decided not to be back, and that's fine.
2: And back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washed, as you heard from head coach Scott Frost. Making it clear, nobody on this team was forced to come back on June one. Um, it was optional from the get go of when guys could arrive. So about ninety eight percent of those players in town and uh, pleased to be joined here now by Husker Online's Allie Snow as we take questions in the mailbag. Allie, um, what do you have to lead us off with?
5: First question: Are there any names at running back for the twenty twenty cycle that you feel have Nebraska on their short list today?
2: Twenty twenty one, probably Nate. Is-
5: yeah, probably twenty twenty
4: one. Well, I mean, there's there's a handful of guys, but it's it's interesting because um, Gabe Irvin out of Buford, Georgia, is probably the number one player, uh, you know, number one target of Nebraska's at this point in time, I would say at least. And, and he just kind of narrowed his list down. Does have Nebraska in his top five, but beyond that, you know, there's there's probably a group of five or six others that are all kind of it's it's all kind of a toss up right now I wouldn't say Nebraska is necessarily leading for any of those players or or you know in a lot of cases they're probably on the periphery with a lot of them so um, Gabe Irvin is by far and away in my opinion the, the the top target or the top name at the running back position to know for the 2021 class
5: can you go a little deeper into the Ty Robinson position talk what is his optimal position
2: I mean, we've debated it a lot that he could play all three, um, whether it's nose or defensive end. Um, I still believe today it's a defensive end, um, kind of based on the bodies Nebraska has between Jordan Riley and uh, Damian Daniels uh, returning. And then you got younger guys coming in like Nash Hutmacher who appear to be a nose. Um, Jakeem Green or Keem Green is a nose. Um, so to me, when you look at the whole depth chart today, I think his size, his length um, is needed on the edge more at defensive end.
3: Well, and we've seen with uh, two Nebraska draft picks from last season, the Davis Twins, I mean, you can play inside and out, so I don't know if he's necessarily going to be pigeonholed into one spot. They're probably move him based on the the package and down in distance. He can play inside and maybe more of a pass rush um, situation. So I mean, I think end might be uh, if you were to just place a designation on him, then maybe outside would be better. But uh, as we've seen, you know, those smaller body types can have just as big of an impact on the inside, uh, you know, given different different defensive packages. Exactly. I, I think that if if
4: you're gonna say okay, well, what's he going to be listed out on the official roster? Probably defensive end. But he, I think he's going to play an awful lot inside as a nose. And, uh, and depending on the you know, down and distance, what type of package uh, they're, they're running at that point in time or uh, whatever, he brings a lot of versatility to the table. And I think the bottom line is he's very, very athletic. And they, like Robin said, they don't want to pigeonhole him into one position or another. Uh, they want to, have, you know, want to have options and utilize his athleticism.
2: All right, Allie, what do you have next?
5: Are we a better team with or without Spielman?
2: Um, I mean, that's kind of a loaded question, I would say, um, because obviously he's an all Big Ten caliber player. But what I would say is this. If you have a guy that doesn't really want to be a part of it and want to be here and really doesn't have close relationships with his team, doesn't really appear to care to have that many close relationships with the current players now in Lincoln, um, you know, I I think it's hard. I mean, because – He's not going to be here to just be a role player. If J.D. Spielman plays at Nebraska, it's to be the guy. It's to be the featured receiver. And if you have to give that type of role to somebody that doesn't necessarily have that many close relationships with coaches and players, and it kind of is you know doesn't do interviews, doesn't speak up as a leader, um, you know I don't yeah there there are a lot of things there that question it, uh, but nobody's denying how good of a talent he is as a player.
3: On the field, no. I mean, he's too good of a player to say you're better off without that caliber of player. Off the field, there are legitimate issues involved there. I mean, there's a reason why he just up and left the program without telling anyone. I mean, there's stuff that uh, that's on his plate personally that needs to get figured out. And until uh, you know any of those issues are resolved, it's hard to say what uh, I guess. I- Ripple effects are going to come with having him in your locker room. I mean, there's there's potential that uh, you know things could go south on you. So yeah, I, I would probably say in the grand scheme of things, with those off the field and personal stuff included, um, you know, it it's, it seems almost like you got to question if the juice is worth the squeeze. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. I I think that uh, on the field, you're you
4: obviously you're going to miss his his ability. Um, you know, he's he's obviously been very productive. Uh, But at the end of the season, I don't know if we're going to see just this massive hole of production at that position because J.D. wasn't here. Um, You know, I I think he'll be tough to replace, and you don't just replace a guy like that. But uh, I don't know if I would necessarily say that, you know, him not being back or or whatever is going to cripple that that position by any means.
5: Any chances we see two 1,000-yard receivers in the same season these next two years?
2: Um, yeah, anything's possible. I think a lot of it is the rhythm and the flow of this offense. And because of the inconsistency of the running game to start, it made it hard for the rhythm of the passing game. There were so many rhythm issues last year. But I think we got taste at times of what this offense can be And the game that I always go back to is Illinois. Um, You know, they necessarily weren't playing the best. But just the rhythm and the pace of what they did, it racked up like close to, what, 700 yards that day. And um, Wondell Robinson kind of tired them down. I think when this offense gets people tired like we saw in that Illinois game, and then Indiana tried to stop that by – you know, you can say what you want to do, but a lot of players got injured in that game for Indiana when roll, runs were happening by Nebraska. It can be hard to stop, and I, I think that's where it starts. Can they get that consistent run game from Martinez, from Dedrick Mills, and whoever that second running back is – to then kind of loosen things and then make the passing game create bigger plays.
3: The potential is certainly there especially if you're counting on, you know, a select number of receivers to do the primary uh, workload there. But if you look back at Scott Frost, you know, best teams at Oregon at Central Florida, when their passing game was really clicking, they had numerous guys with Roughly 30 catches for roughly six or 700 yards. And so that is the ideal uh, stat line that you want. You want a bunch of guys that are producing at a high level because that means that uh, defenses don't know who to zero in on. There's not one J.D. Spielman. There's not one Stanley Morgan. Uh, when you have six or seven guys that are all viable threats in the passing game, that is when the system is really clicking. Yeah, you, you
4: look back to year one under Frost and – Stanley had over a thousand and I think JD had seven or he was, right was under it, yeah. it was pushing eight hundred in that year. So it's totally possible. But um, you know, I look as they are trying to retool the wide receiver room right now and and I totally agree, Robin. I think that eventually once this thing really gets rolling and, and they start to really rack up uh yardage, uh, it, it's gonna be more spread out instead of just one you know leader or just, two big time you know thousand yard receivers
2: yeah they just haven't had the options that's, yeah that's, exactly infor. i mean when when you're having to play a lot of walk-ons and key guys in situations that's tough All right two time for two quick ones allie
5: is elante brown worth the hype
2: well you heard him the last <laughs> segment, All year Sean. um <laughs> frost i i said what are your thoughts on him early and and he said well i've only seen him two days but we've run a couple of these play action type situations that we've tried to run and it's not worked once in two years and he took it to the house multiple times on touchdowns over slant routes over the middle so he brings an explosive play element um, I mean in high school he was the top football player in Chicago um, and did some great things then got a year of prep school experience so there is going to be a role for him especially if J.D. Spielman as we think is not going to be back Nate or Robin
3: yeah I was just saying that that dynamic element I think is one way he can make an immediate impact obviously there's Hopefully, uh, a lot of options that are going to uh, want the football. But if you got a guy that can make a house call like that, especially opening up the playbook and giving that coaching staff plays that they haven't been able to utilize, I mean, there, there will certainly be a big role for a guy like that. And I will, I
4: will also say I fully expect Elante Brown to uh, be a returner of some sort, whether it be punts or kicks. Uh, I do think that he he's at least going to have a very good shot at winning one of those jobs, or if not both of them. And so uh, that's another way that I think that he will make an impact
2: on the field. Okay, let's. I'm going to spitball this to you guys. Starting three wide receivers, obviously Wandell Robinson's the Duck R, Omar Manning the X, Alante Brown the Z, or could it be a still a veteran guy like Cade Warner? Um, you know, it will be interesting. Um, but I, that would be my three today.
3: Yeah, I mean, Cade Warner's got a case just because of his ability, I mean, obviously to be able to block, and he's a security blanket in a lot of ways. So, uh, you know, again... He's going to play. Right, yeah. It's a matter of, you know, how many of those other guys are going to be able to compete for snaps. But I think their most reliable proven commodities are those three with Cade Warner. But those four young guys, I mean, all those guys are going to push for playing time. Yeah, I I
4: agree. I think Cade is probably going to be able to hold it down uh, as far as being the starter, but I think we're going to see a pretty heavy rotation um, at that spot. All okay. right,
2: final question, Allie.
5: If rivals told you you had to cover a different team for the 2020 season, which team would you want to cover and why? Ooh.
2: Ole Miss.
3: Why?
5: Because oh, I would like
2: lane to. Drain. I'd lane like to be. Drain. I'd like to see that Lane Kiffin the state of Mississippi in general Yeah, I was between say. Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin. I mean,
3: I wouldn't want to live in Starkville though.
2: Somebody made a tweet. Um, they said, it's amazing. A guy that scored a touchdown and got on his knees and peed like a dog. The impact it had <laughs> on, on two football coaching staffs at, at Mississippi and Mississippi state. It brought Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin back. <laughs> you know, exactly. I mean, it's unbelievable because you know, the, the guy did that and then it moved the extra point back yep. and then, and then it, yeah.
3: I mean, yeah, the penalty basically changed the outcome of the game. Yeah, it did because so. All right, I'm going to look at this in a purely selfish scope, and I'm going to say like, I'll cover Hawaii for a year. How about that? Just go live out there and then come back to Nebraska, rejuvenated.
4: That's a hey, that's that's smart <laughs> move. Um, I was going to say Clemson or Alabama because you know, or or Ohio State because Georgia. Yeah, uh, because of the obvious. You know, they're going to be right at the top of the. Top of the the uh, the polls have a chance of playing for it all, but boy, now that you you mentioned the Hawaii <laughs> aspect, that's that that might be the move.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, it, it's it is a fun. I mean, we're blessed to get to do what we do, and um, yeah, you think about like where else would be fun? I mean, but we've been so lucky to be around a great fan base and the attention around Nebraska football is why we have jobs. I mean, the the amount of people, you're even teams that are losing, you know, the way they've lost, a lot of people still follow what's going on and. Um, we're, we're always very lucky to, to get to be around it.
3: Yeah, and, you know, it's one of those deals where there's not a lot of programs that would allow us to do this full-time. I mean, there's a lot of rival sites and other, other outlets that do this part-time, you know, just because there's just not a demand for it. And so that's what makes, makes Nebraska special, we appreciate y'all. Yeah,
4: yep, that's, that is definitely what sets this program apart, is the fan base.
2: All right, when we come back, we will close the show with some recruiting talk including a new commit and maybe another new addition. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: I think you could push it, except there's so many mid-year enrollees now that have to sign then. So I don't think you're gonna get that changed. So I think we're just, we're gonna to have to do the best we can with fewer kids visiting campus. We're working hard. And the, and the only positive thing is we're going to sign a, probably a smaller class this year just because of numbers. It's probably a good year to have not have to sign 26 or 27.
2: And back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, final segment, as you heard Coach Frost kind of give his thoughts on recruiting. I asked him in our interview Friday, could you possibly, um, you know, could there be a push to eliminate the early signing day knowing that a lot of these kids – are going to have to be forced to signing letters of maybe not even getting a visit process. And he goes, it's a possibility, but in all reality, there's so many early enrollees and it makes it very, very tough. Uh, Nebraska now at eight commits. Um, they picked up a new commit here from Sean Hardy um, over the weekend on Friday. We'll get Nate's thoughts on that. But first this segment of the Husker online show brought to you by our friends Nate at Coogler vision.
4: Yeah, that's right. Cougar Vision continues to deliver amazing results and world-class service that it's known for, but it's even better now. Uh, Safety is their number one priority uh, at this time, and and they are open for elective surgeries, uh, but they want you to know that uh, the consultations uh, can be done uh, with the telehealth. It's all, uh, you know, you're practicing safe social distancing, and uh, you you can go and schedule those online consultations by visiting CougarVision.com.
2: All right, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Nate, I I talked about a new commit for Nebraska, wide receiver, Sean Hardy, 6'3", 190, Kingsland, Georgia. Um, This one somewhat came out of nowhere for folks. Um, The first wide receiver committed here in the class. Um, What is the number A of receivers Nebraska will take this year? And what are your thoughts on Sean Hardy?
4: Yeah, they'll take two wide receivers for sure, maybe three, depending on – uh, how the numbers kind of shake out you know if, if they decide to to take one less at a different position they could end up moving that extra spot to the wide receiver group so um so for sure too and and Sean Hardy is one of those guys and and he's a good one you mentioned at six three one ninety, 190 he's a guy that they'd been uh, on they've been recruiting for a very long time Sean Becton is the, is the initial contact in the state of Georgia obviously but Um, You know, once Matt Lubick was hired, he, uh, you know, tried to become familiar with all of the wide receivers that the Huskers had offered, and Sean Hardy was one of those guys that vaulted towards the top of his list. Um, You know, and he he does an awful lot of of things that you like on film, Um, and, and I think you have to start with that size. You know, that's something that's kind of been a point of emphasis um, you know, over the last few classes is is getting some bigger players in that position group and diversifying that group and and what they look like. And, you know, at 6'3", 190, but he is young for his age. He's still developing. Um, you know, I had a chance uh, or I've heard from some, um, you know, some coaches that have played against him and they said, well, he's a kid who's just kind of getting out of that that awkward stage he, he's still kind of developing and and uh so there's a chance that he could even grow a little bit bigger uh but but certainly he is going to continue to to mature physically and and that means that he's got a very high ceiling and you know his dad is a coach he understands the game very well there's just an awful light awful lot to like about sean hardy
2: all right nate in nebraska one spot left in their class of two, 2020 uh, you get 25 initials they with daniel Cherney, you got to 24 it was thought that maybe they would go wide receiver with spot 25. It's now reached the point. Now we're at best available player. It's the Travis Vocal situation from a year ago. We didn't need a tight end last year. Nebraska would tell you, but hey, he was the best available guy that improved our football team, and that's kind of where spot 25 has gone. And Rob Cassidy, who covers South Florida for Rivals.com, particularly the Miami area, reported here um, over the weekend that Nadab Joseph, a former Rivals 100 Alabama and then Georgia signee that did not academically qualify, that played at Dream U Independence CC in Kansas, um, could be headed to Nebraska. Um, he graduated, announced that on May 21, and it sounds like a lot of teams might be trying to make a push, but Nebraska's in a good spot.
4: Yeah, they're in a very good spot here, and and it's, it's very similar to that of what we saw with uh, Keem Green last year coming out of Highland, you know. I think uh, he, he's a kid who had a lot of offers, uh, both in high school, obviously, was committed to Alabama, ended up flipping to Georgia, um, you know, in the early signing period because Alabama wanted him to wait until February. Uh, Georgia came in at the last minute and said, hey, you know, we, we're not, we won't make you wait. Uh, you can sign with us right now. And, and so he did. He, he flipped to Georgia, um, and that was a big deal on that early signing period in, in that 2018 class um, you know, didn't he fade, failed to qualify, and, and so he went to Independence Community College, redshirted his first year, um, you know, and, and then didn't end up playing uh, this past year. Uh, you know, there's multiple reasons why, but uh, he's a three-for-three three guy, and a lot of teams fell off of him because they didn't think he was going to qualify. And so, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, teams moved on, including Nebraska. They offered him both in high school and at uh, Independence Community College, and um, you know, when it became kind of clear that it, that it wasn't looking all that great, they kind of had to go elsewhere and, and look for other defensive backs out there. And they signed a heck of a defensive backs class. But um, all of a sudden he graduates, uh, does have a couple classes that he has to, to complete before he could arrive on campus somewhere. But um, you know the huskers are very much in the mix here they've got a good relationship with uh, you know with his uncle who's kind of you know the go-between here with uh, with a lot of the, his recruitment uh, Travis Fisher is is heavily involved there he's from Miami Norland and, and we know that Travis Fisher's got some good contacts down in, in the city of Miami. Um, you know, he certainly pulled some great talent out of there this past class. And then, obviously, uh, Ryan Held has a, a ton of great connections in the junior college ranks, which is really what helped kind of uh,
2: set this all in motion. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. And, Nate, when, when you talk about a high-risk, high-reward guy, I mean – there's not been a lot of those that have gone well for Nebraska. I mean, you think about Maurice Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about some of the JUCO guys Frost took year one um, that on paper looked good, but then ended up being fits. Uh, Will Jackson, another guy that didn't even last through a fall camp. So, I think you got to take a cautiously optimistic approach if you're a fan right now. I mean, yeah, we know what his fan res- was recruiting resume is, and we know what kind of player he is. Um, but I think we've learned, and who is the running back too that Brian Stewart brought in that kid that. Uh, from Texas that never oh, Jordan Stevenson. Jordan Steve. I mean, <laughs> we've seen, I mean, we've seen situations where the resume looks unreal, mm-hmm. but then when it comes time to, <laughs> to come up to Lincoln, you know, it's, it's somewhat of a different story and there's a reason why things get off track. So, you know, I, I I think it's to me. It's natural to be a little skeptical of a guy like this right now, Um, but we'll see.
4: Yeah, I think you you, as a fan listening to this, I I think you it'd be wise to be cautiously optimistic uh, that it's all going to play out. A that he ends up making it to Lincoln, and B that he lives up to his potential. Um, Now, people have asked, you know, in the chat this past week, they asked, you know, is he a day one starter if he makes it to Nebraska? He's got the potential to be. He's athletic enough to be uh, that guy. Is 6'2", 195 pounds. Runs a four low four four. Has a forty two inch vertical. Um, you know the 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 people at Alabama. You know said that not only is he an Alabama quality defensive back, he's probably a cut above a lot of their other defensive backs in terms so of the his, talent is real. The talent is real. It's off the charts. Um, you know, can he put it all together? You know, obviously, academics has been a little bit of a struggle. Um, you know, he, he didn't play this past season. I know that he had, he had some different things going on and, and, uh, he left for a while. And, and so, I mean, he's, there's some baggage that, that he's, that he would be coming to town with. So, uh, but I mean, if, if he can get through all that, um, you know, and live up to his, his potential, he could be very, very special, which all of a sudden you look at that defensive back, uh, room that Nebraska has, and there's a lot of options there uh, that you could do. I mean, you could do a lot of different things with with all the talent that's in that room.
2: All right. Well, there'll be lots to follow on the Nadab Joseph front. Nate Klaus, Rob Cassidy, our national regional guy in Miami, uh, the entire team will keep you up to date on the latest.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.